This is episode 23 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast, episode 23. Today I have Matt McKeever on the show and you're not going to want to miss this one. Matt's a really interesting guy. He's in his early 30s. He's retired from his job and he relies on the income he makes from his 56 rental units in London, Ontario. Matt's a bit of a YouTube sensation. He's got quite the personal brand going on. And in this episode, he breaks down for us what he would recommend for somebody with no personal brand at the moment, without any social media presence, what he would recommend that they do to start doing deals. Whether you have cash or whether you don't have cash, he's got a strategy for how you can get started or how you can take it to the next level. And I thought it was really interesting how he combines social media with real estate investing and uses it to help him grow. Particularly interesting was the discussion of joint ventures and how he's used them and how he recommends that other people use them as well. Some housekeeping items before we get into the episode. For one, if you haven't already hit the subscribe button, whether you're listening on Apple Podcasts or whether you're watching on YouTube, please take a moment, hit that subscribe button now, hit the like button, leave a comment. And if you're a podcast listener on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts or the like, please take a moment and just rate and review the podcast. I'd really appreciate it. It's going to help more people get this podcast in their hands and help grow the network that I'm building around this podcast. So I would really appreciate if you would do that. Other news, we've got the Greater Hamilton Area REI Meetup that's happening on June 20th. That's the Thursday. If you are interested in coming, if you're in the area or you're willing to travel to the area, hit me up and I will get the details to you. Make sure that you're added to the group so that you can come when the details are available. So without further ado, here is episode 23 with Matt McKeever. Hello and welcome to the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. I have Matt McKeever on the show, the the elusive Matt McKeever, although he's everywhere. Uh, yeah, I try and be both. <laughs> elusive and everywhere. That's a good uh, good combination. Matt, thanks for taking the time to uh, to be on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, Andrew. So uh, I was able to twist your arm to uh, come upstairs and, and jump on this. Uh, just just shot two episodes before this, so I've got lots of content that I'm going to be editing for the last or uh, the next little while. Yeah. Um, for those who aren't familiar with you, Matt, and your story, could you give us the elevator pitch of uh, what you've done to date and uh, and how you got to where you are right now? Sure, sounds good. So, kind of like even including education and jobs, or well, you're an accountant yeah. uh, by trade, right? Okay, yeah. So start I'll with do that. the elevator pitch. Then. Yeah. <laughs> so high level went to university. Um, my goal going to university was to get my CPA designation. So did that at BDO Dunwoody. Did that for about five years and in 2015 or 2010 i started investing in real estate and so i would have been about two to three years into my career at that point the goal always to build up passive income so i could kind of live a more flexible lifestyle i knew the nine to five wasn't for me long term so essentially did that bought a house a year from 2010 to 2013 and then hit a financing wall once I think I got up to four mortgages and the bank started pushing back, wanting to see more assets. And with that, you know, at the time I hadn't networked. I didn't really know uh, any other real estate investors. So I just took the one bank's opinion as gospel mm-hmm. and really let that hold me back. They said, you need to go get higher income. So I essentially like switched industries, went into uh, corporate finance and worked as a uh, controller for a small publicly traded pharmaceutical company here in London. And the reason for that was simply I was trying to earn as much money as possible. 
mm -hmm. uh, because I wanted to qualify for more mortgages so that I could eventually quit my job. So I ended up getting a new job just so that I could quit it. But did that. And my plan was always at the age of 35 to retire. Okay. So I actually had at the age of 25, I put on like a counter on my iPhone that was counting down to my like 35th birthday oh, okay. because that was my plan to retire. And essentially, I ended up retiring before the age of 35. It was at the age of 31. It wasn't necessarily my choice. And so it's something that I've been trying to really break down for people recently on my YouTube channel is even if you like your job, even if you like your career, it's important that you have kind of a backup plan, a plan B, um, ideally kind of a fortress of solitude. For me, that's real estate investing. And so at the age of 31, our our company that I was working for, we got acquired by another pharmaceutical company. It was 2016. It was a really hectic time in that that entire industry, that world. And so it became clear that we were probably going to, at some point in time, get, uh, we were going to become redundant. So they were going to probably shut down our London, Ontario operation. And so that essentially came, it's kind of a long story. I'll, I won't dive into it, but I've talked about my YouTube channel. But essentially at the age of 31, retired here in London, Ontario and started, I guess for the first six months, I really didn't do much. I kind of just goofed around, decompressed, uh, thought a lot, but played a lot of video games, wasted a lot of time. And after those six months, I looked back on it. I wasn't necessarily proud of what I'd done. Like mm -hmm. there was no sense of accomplishment there. So started thinking, I started writing really long emails to my buddies, like 5,000 word emails. Wow. Trying to explain to them how they could quit their job in five years if they'd kind of follow my path and do real estate investing. Mm -hmm. Because they were so long, I'm sure as you can guess, not a single person responded to any of those emails. So I happened, I forget, I guess I was reading the book Self Made by Stefan Arnio at the time. And he was talking about how you need to talk to your audience and their language. And so immediately it just became clear to me that real estate's like very visual, very tactile. Mm -hmm. The reason a lot of people like real estate investing is because there's more trust in a physical asset. And part of what's great is like you can go look at it, you can see it, you can really right. visualize it. So that kind of inspired me to start my YouTube channel, ideally just to get my buddies to learn or to double down on real estate investing so that they could quit their jobs in five years and come join me in like early retirement. And essentially started doing that, uh, stumbled upon Gary V's content, really bought into okay. that whole idea of the value in a personal brand, as well as just the power in social media and having these mm -hmm. one to many conversations. And yeah. That's and here a, we are. That's awesome, man. I was I was really curious because I think you're you're the probably the first guy I knew personally that had you know maybe not established a personal brand and then established one that blew up. Yeah. Because I met you I think three or four years ago yeah. at a Lyric event, which at that time I don't think you even had the YouTube channel and you were just a guy in the room with everybody else that was investing in some real estate and. And that was right around the time where I met you, Jeff Weibo and, and Kellen, mm -hmm. and uh, you guys just kind of took over that event <laughs> and then surpassed and made your own and, and did all that, um, but really made the change. And I always wondered, what was it that, that drove you to do that? So I know you and Jeff have that in common. You guys both see the value in the personal brand, which I was a late one to that show. And I, I remember stumbling across Gary Vee as well, hear, hearing a couple of people say his name and saying, Hey, you should really check out Gary V. So I checked it out and I was like, what have I been doing? 
Yeah. What have I been doing all this time? Uh, because I was doing lots of cool stuff. I mean, like you said, people are visual. I was like tearing houses apart. I yeah. mean, I could have been docu- documenting that and wasn't. And I do regret that. But uh, now I'm trying to take people along for the journey, although I've got uh, plenty to learn from from what you've been able to do. Why did you pick YouTube? Like, why was that your your main outlet? Yeah, I think it's a great question. And I think people can do well on any social media platform. But in mm-hmm. particular, real estate and YouTube, I think they just go well together. Uh, again, real estate's very visual. So like the idea of being able to actually see a property mm-hmm. or walk through a property. In addition, the idea of being in that education space with real estate and YouTube is really unique because I guess when I was learning about real estate investing, I was able to read books like Rich Dad, Poor Dad or The Wealthy Barber. Mm-hmm. And they're great, but the information always feels stale. Like if the book was written more than five, 10 years ago, true, you don't you trust that it was possible, but it's hard to believe that you could do it today. And so YouTube social media allows us to create content so fast, but we can still have a decent quality or even high quality, depending on like how much time and money Mm -hmm. and effort you want to sink into it. But I think there's just something really unique about being able to document your real estate investment and like walk people through that property. It all of a sudden takes the theoretical numbers that you can do on a whiteboard and grounds it in the reality of like, oh, there's like the lumber, there's like the flooring, there's the tiles. Yeah. So for those who aren't familiar with your channel yet, what's your typical recipe for a YouTube video uh, standard content, if there is a standard? Yeah, channel? I don't necessarily. It kind of goes through phases. So I've been toying with a few different types of content right now. So for the longest time, it was very education oriented. I went through a phase of all whiteboard videos. So I just had a giant metal whiteboard made in my uh, hallway and would mm-hmm. just like write out you know, break down the numbers for people on how to burr a property or how the basic math on a flip worked or just anything else that either I was learning or that I had done. And then after, I guess for myself and probably my audience, it started to feel a little stale. Like you do something for for myself six months to a year and I kind of Mm -hmm. feel like, okay, I've covered it. I've worked out the different ways I can explain to do a burr or a money back like refinance or a buffer or, you know, you talk through all the different all the different names for these strategies, all the different versions and applications, and then you get bored of it. So then I started doing walkthroughs of properties because that didn't feel like it was necessarily being done by a lot of people. And we'd essentially just like literally walk through a property with you and document your numbers and throw that up on screen. That's really cool. So were these your projects or were they were projects of people that you were interviewing? Mm -hmm. So a bit of both. So at the start, it was very focused on my projects Mm -hmm. just because the idea of someone coming on your job site and like bringing a camera or even just taking up your time. A lot of investors didn't necessarily understand the value in social media or personal mm-hmm. brand. I could still a lot struggle with it. And it's definitely, there's still a lot of opportunity in that space. But so I guess at the start, it was really focused on my properties just because it'd be hard to convince someone else to let me. But right. now, you know, a few videos have, uh, through the YouTube gods look kindly on it. And, you know, they went mildly viral. And so one with Casey Wong ended up hitting over 150,000 views now. And that's all of a sudden created like a new credibility where a lot of investors now understand, oh, wow, like if I can get in front of 100,000 people, yeah. there's probably a few people that have real money there that may want to invest with me if they trust me, if they like my personality. Mm-hmm. And one of the best ways to show that is through camera where, you know, they talk about how, with communication, so much of it's not verbal, right? It's your right. body language, it's your posture. Yeah. And I think people can really build a deeper relationship with you 
on screen on camera. I agree. And and there's a subconscious thing there that if I've watched you for, you know, a few months time, when I actually do meet you, I'll like physiologically be more relaxed. I'll, I'll feel like we know each other. I'll be like, hey, man, how you doing? And I'll kind of yeah. know how you'll respond because I already feel like I know you. So you must get this all the time when you meet people, they, they talk to you as if they know you already. Yeah, I think it's actually a huge bonus to doing mm-hmm. social media or one of the major benefits even is this fact that people now self-select both when they talk to me and what they talk to me about. Mm-hmm. So it's very rare that I have to make small talk these days. People aren't going to just talk to me necessarily about the weather or their kids' little league game. They're going to talk to me about real estate investing yeah. or personal branding or YouTube or any of the other like entrepreneurial endeavors I'm interested in. Yeah. And that to me is just so much more fun to really dive to the meat of a conversation. Yeah, you skip the the pleasantries. Now, granted, you still want to know about them probably because you don't have the advantage of knowing them the same way. Yeah, so it's really interesting. Oftentimes, I find myself at a disadvantage because people will start with me mid-sentence almost, and they literally won't say their name because it doesn't feel like an introduction. Yeah. So there's like, hey, you're Matt, and then they start into a sentence. Um, But overall, it's fantastic because at the end of the day, there's just so much value in awareness and attention um obviously it's part of the reason you're doing a podcast i imagine absolutely so uh, i'll give you my backstory because i don't think i've ever even told anyone or said this on the podcast so i encountered gary v probably september it's uh as we shoot this we're in uh into may now hard to believe uh so i started the instagram page started posting like everything i was doing on a project i was going through and Slow traction, right? Which mm-hmm. as I am sure it was for you yeah. at first too. And then I started getting a few posts that people started sharing. I started like, because I was sharing the story below the picture as well. And people started to relate a little bit. And then I had people tell me, oh, you should start a podcast because I just babble about real estate all along anyway. Um, so then I started the podcast in February. February 15th was the first episode that I launched. This will be episode, I believe, don't quote me, but it should be episode 23 nice and uh that's happened in a very short period of time mm-hmm. so it's my main outlet i know youtube's your main outlet but you have a podcast as well which is really cool i mean you're doing it all which is going to be one of my follow-up questions is uh, you know how you're able to do all that but uh yeah so for me the podcast i've seen some pretty linear growth i've seen it consistently picking up more and one of the testaments to this personal brand thing from my own personal experience which is nothing compared to what you've done so far is I've already managed to put together a get together with somebody else I met on Instagram. We've got, uh, and I hope you're coming. I think you might be coming in Burlington. And uh, I'm, I'm thinking, well, we had 30 people out to our first one. Nice, I'd say 85% awesome. of them were active real estate investors. And uh, I would, would not be surprised if we hit 45, 50 this time. Yeah, uh, with those amazing. kind of numbers, right? With people that are actually already doing it, which is kind of the disclaimer I put on it is you got to be a real estate investor to attend. If you haven't done a deal yet, just make sure you do one before the next meeting <laughs> <Love> <laughs> or it. start one. Um, yeah, so that that was the power for me. I saw it like when when Gary Vee said it and then I saw everything you'd been doing and everything Jeff been doing. I'm like, oh, my God. And, and it just all clicked, made perfect sense. And I never looked back. It just made perfect yeah. sense. Which, I mean, thanks for for doing it because that was a part of the inspiration because I got to see what you were doing. But how on earth, because you've grown this into such a huge thing, how on earth do you find time for it all? And what's your end game with it at this point? Yeah, um, I certainly didn't start with an exact end game in mind. Um, 
things have started to develop now, but initially the goal really was just to share my story, ideally convince some of my friends to quit their day jobs because I would be able to talk them into real estate investing. And it evolved from there. I definitely really started to learn the value in having a community. We ended up starting like physical meetup groups like you'd kind of mm -hmm. mentioned earlier on, really saw the value in that. And now because I've been creating content for over two years, we're coming up on three years actually, I've been able to see the progression of people. So like some people that, you know, commented or followed from day one, they've now bought a couple properties or mm -hmm. some have like literally, you know, 10 X their portfolio over two or three years. Right. And even if I was just a mild piece of that inspiration, that's still a lot of fun. And people seem to give me a lot of credit for it. So constantly there's DMS or emails, uh, telling me about the impact. So realizing the value now in these one to many conversations hmm. it's just it's hard for me to not want to double down into it right and in particular i see a gap still between the online space and the physical space there's not a lot of people bridging the gaps um we're starting to see it now more and more but for the longest time meetup groups or online influencers were two very separate mm -hmm. spheres and now we're starting to really see, you know, people doing like flash meetups or creating regular monthly meetups. Now I just, to me, there's so much value in both types of networking, both social media or social media networking right. and uh, in-person networking to be able to bridge those two gaps. I just see so much value. And in particular, if I've been able to have this impact with people online, just through the mm -hmm. camera, what happens if we can bridge that gap and start getting people to you know, spend more time in our ecosystem. And so what we're doing now, we're actually shooting this in the mansion. Um, I'm not sure if you guys really talked about it. Yeah, earlier. we did. Yeah, but go ahead and re reiterate. So real high level, it's essentially an incubator of some sort a social media entrepreneur, mm -hmm. real estate incubator. We're creating lots of content, both free and paid here, as well as just experimenting with all sorts of other businesses. Recently purchased a 50% stake in a uh, online property management software really excited by that and looking forward to growing that out too as a business but the long-term goal for for youtube for social media i think is just still capturing more attention trying to create you know double down on that concept of creating my tribe and mm -hmm. it's just been so fun to plant the flag and have all these unique individuals all these motivated entrepreneurs all these like grinders and hustlers just self-select and come mm -hmm. out and meet up with me it's really helped me level up myself. And so I just yeah. kind of want to continue that process. So, you know, w we've done two OREC events this year. So that was the Ontario Real Estate Conference. And they were literally like, they don't exist except for just me and Jeff made them up and then executed right. on it, right? And so all of a sudden I've started to realize that for 99% of us, like we're our worst enemy, we're holding ourselves back. We're waiting for someone to give us permission. Right. And so I essentially these days just give myself almost blanket permission to think as big and as crazy as possible. So we're hoping to really roll out OREC on a larger scale in 2020. We're hoping both like just in physical location spread out across Ontario. I'm really hoping to take the control your properties, which is the property management software company and really create a unique experience for landlords. So hoping to, you know, launch a podcast around that, hoping to also launch meetup groups around it and really create a culture and a community for landlords and property managers. Um, okay. And then also I want to eventually start, you know, 
I think there's a real opportunity for some sort of VidCon North, you know, the concept of a social media influencer meetup here. Oh, okay. North in Canada, so in Toronto. So I'm really encouraged by that idea and the fact that we already host events and stuff. I guess I've personally, the most satisfying things I've done over the last two to three years were the uh, Vegas Entrepreneur Experience, which we did, which was essentially just like a mastermind where we rented out a boutique hotel in Vegas and had 63 or 70 entrepreneurs come out to this 63 room hotel and just like getting into that melting pot of ideas and just that cross pollination between, you know, fulfilled by Amazon people, YouTubers, real estate investors, just all the different kind of, I don't know, there's just a culture of entrepreneurship right now that seems to be on the surface of pop culture as well, which is really fun. And so I just want to explore that more and try and make that even more popular. Yeah. And I I don't know how many in real estate investors consider themselves entrepreneurs as well. I, I mean, obviously it's an entrepreneurial vein. I've always considered myself somebody who wanted to be an entrepreneur Mm -hmm. and getting into real estate was one of those things that allowed me to say, okay, I feel like I am now. And, uh, you know, like flipping a couple of houses, selling them, you know, doing all the things that are, are part of an entrepreneurial business. And uh, that's a really cool concept because I think when you get into a room with people who think about something else very well and they do a very good job of it and they share how they approach their business and you merge that with how you you approach yours, then you get that creativity that allows you to take something maybe to the next level that you maybe never would have thought of uh, or, an, a, you know, a level that didn't exist before. Yeah, so 100% agree. And just building upon that idea of, you know, a lot of real estate investors not necessarily considering themselves entrepreneurs. I definitely agree. But at the same time, when you peel back the layers and look at it, I think real estate is just one of the safest types of entrepreneurship, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of the, you know, you're probably not going a thousand X that flip or that burr, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, your chances of going to zero is extremely low. So it's a very low risk, lower reward type of business in a box. I like to think of it. Business in a box. Yeah, I like that. I, I had it put to me when I when I was early on in my investing is, you know, no matter what happens, people always need a place to live, right? Yeah. A lot of jobs could sink to nothing. Equities, you know, shares in a company could could literally erode to nothing. I mean, people mm-hmm. people who invested in Sears, I, I don't think that went very well for them. You know, there's mm-hmm. there's so many ways that that uh, that you can lose on other investments, but even in a bad economy, you're, if you can wait it out, you shouldn't really lose very yeah. often on real estate. Not to say you can't, but I think I think it's a, a heck of a lot less likely, mm-hmm. uh, which I'm guessing is why you went this route as well as the whole financial independence vein. Yeah, like still at my heart, yeah. I'm a CPA, yeah. you know, and so very risk adverse. So the idea of being able to yeah. build up what I like to consider like a firepreneur or lean fire amount where your basics, your bare needs are covered kind of indefinitely based off of the passive income from your real estate investing. Then you can kind of go and dabble in things like a software company like myself or meetup groups or podcasting. Right. And so just for those who aren't familiar with it, fire and lean fire, could you just explain those concepts? So fire stands for financial independence, sorry, fire stands for financial independence, retire early and lean fire is just kind of a more scaled back version of that. That's on Mm -hmm. a very what most people would consider almost unbelievably low income level. But right. so the idea of living off of ten, fifteen thousand dollars a year, but through yeah. strategies like house hacking, where you know, you live in maybe a rental property and figure out a manner where 
you can live for free. The average Canadian spending about 40% of their income on shelter. So if they Mm -hmm. can simply cover that shelter need and save that difference, all of a sudden you're able to tip things over where both your needs are so much less, Mm -hmm. but also you're able to save so much more that you really can start accumulating assets. And if you're investing intelligently, like potentially in real estate, if it makes sense in your market, um, you can really build out your needs in a short period of time. Yeah, absolutely. Now, for for context, because I'm I'm sure some people who are listening to this are not familiar with you. Where were you when you did retire? Because you you said you retired at 31. What age did you start at? I started investing at age 25. 25. Okay, but you were still a CPA and you you hadn't fully mentally committed to the real estate retirement route. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you retire at 31. Where were you at a at a financial level at that point? Were you doing a lean fire sort of approach? Yeah, so absolutely. I like to joke that I jumped out of the plane without my parachute, but I had all the instructions. Okay. So essentially, it, it wasn't exactly planned, but I knew I'd be okay when I left my job. And so at first, I essentially just made out a giant list of worst case scenarios and how I could cover them. So I tried mm-hmm. to figure out, you know, all the different ways I could survive what I initially did was I just continued to house hack. So I right. lived in a property I owned, rented out several bedrooms, and essentially was able to live for free. So what okay. that meant then, all I really need to cover was like groceries, yeah. medical, you know, dental stuff. Really not that much when you break it down for right. relatively young, healthy individual. And so with that, I essentially just started exploring other opportunities i found a really interesting opportunity on kijiji that was listed uh someone was looking for a bookkeeper and they were a real estate investor so i ended up reaching out to him building a relationship offered to work for free if he was willing to mentor me and we ended up coming to uh, an agreement that worked out well for both of us and what was really unique was because i had this freedom i could essentially give away my time for free as long as the opportunity was interesting enough to you know, pique my interest. That's so smart. The working for free thing. I think more people need to to practice that, but a lot of them can't because mm-hmm. they don't have the time or they haven't structured their life in a way to do to do so. Hundred percent. But I keep I keep encouraging people to come work for me for free. I'm waiting. I'm waiting yeah. for the bite, but it will happen. I'm confident. Absolutely. Yeah, because you know, there's just I, I think that some people think a mentorship thing is a one way thing, right? They can just ask and and get all the answers. Mm-hmm. But I honestly, I think giving back, like the people who mentor me, I try and find ways to give back to them all the time. Like, what can I do for them to help them to make them want to share their stuff with me? And yeah, uh, it works really well that way. So you were able to work something out with them. And so there was no money changing hands. But I do believe from watching one of your videos that you got a building out of that deal. Yeah. So long term, you know, we developed this relationship. Eventually, he decided like he had to pay me something. So he paid me a little bit more than minimum wage. I, you know, gave him relatively higher uh quality information analysis than you would get from a minimum wage bookkeeper right and we developed this relationship and at one point in time he decided he wanted to sell off a 20 unit parcel he had here in london and i he was like hey just sell this for me on kijiji you're good with the internet and i was like um i would love to but i was like i can't conflict of interest i want to buy it and so from that we were able to talk through and i was able to buy that property privately and it was, you know, by far one of the best investments I made. And it was a really rough building and mm-hmm. needed a lot of work. And it took a lot of like sweat and, you know, effort, blood and tears into that property to get it stabilized. But once we did, the return on was fantastic. It was here yeah. in London, Ontario in the Old East Village, which is a neighborhood, you know, 
that I've been really bullish on since 2015 and earlier. And it's been fun to, you know, now that we're kind of four or five years from that point in time, to be able to see it continuing to take off and blossom. Yeah, as with most neighborhoods in London, it's just growing. Um, mm-hmm. Timing is is everything. In this Absolutely. case, you got in at the right time. Um, I consider myself fortunate on that too with the properties I had. A little frustrated too because now it's harder to find a deal. Yes, And you got to be willing to pay so much more for the same thing you used to buy for so much less. But it's a good thing, right? You got you to you see both sides of that. Um, okay, so you started, you retired at how many units? How many units did you have at so that time? So I think like right when I actually quit my job, I probably only had like 12 or 15 units but by the end of that year i was probably up to 50 units so like i more than doubled my portfolio the year i quit my job and the year i actually quit my job i made more money from real estate than i had like throughout my career beautiful how many are you at now how many units? Uh, so it's just under it's 58 units 58 Um, now yeah Okay. And are those a mix of joint ventures? And Yeah. So it's pretty much all joint ventures. And I, that's the way I structured my portfolio and was able to grow in a short period of time was mm-hmm. essentially I attracted money partners. So I'd be like, hey, I'll find the deal. I'll manage it. I'll operate it. And usually we'd be buying distressed properties, like distressed multifamily properties. Right. And we'd get them up to their best highest use, get them up to a higher rent and we could refinance it. So the way I attracted money partners at the start was, you know, often they would have a HELOC or some sort of equity that they could borrow against. And I would say, you know, give me this 200 or give me this $500,000 in HELOC you have and let me recycle it for as long as I can. And we'll build kind of the serial relationship where I'll buy a property, we'll fix it up, we'll burr it, get our money out and then go do another one. And uh, that was kind of how I've structured my portfolio. So the Maltese, I know that your larger building is like a 12, isn't it? Uh, Yeah, like it's a 14 bachelor units. 14 bachelor units. And then you got two triplexes in that complex as well. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's a great example to start with. How did you add value to that? What did you do? Yeah, so it was severely under rented and the tenants that were in there a lot of them weren't paying or they were like just very troubled tenants like a lot of drug use just a lot of vandalism going on a lot of disturbances so just started evicting the non-payers started negotiating with the bad tenants you know cash for keys different Mm -hmm. strategies like that and was able to stabilize and get in a better class of tenants and then from that we were able to get higher rents because you know graffiti is not happening there's no more disturbances also just the market appreciated in general um london ontario we've seen massive rent appreciation or like rent increases particularly in the neighborhoods i happen to invest in Mm -hmm. so that certainly didn't hurt as well and we just go in my my main focus on most of my properties is relatively cosmetic unless i know that we're going in for a big project so we'll just be doing flooring painting you know maybe some basic layout changes to just optimize it, but often yeah. avoiding that when possible and just get it clean and nice and re-rent it out. Clean, nice, re-rent it out. Um, and when you went back, so so with commercial, so these larger building and it was all under one title, like the three, the three unit and the other three unit? Yeah, so it was two titles technically. So one of the triplexes is on its own title. The other 17 units are together. Um, it's actually... a a weird long story a lot of my deals are often you know there's something strange going on with the seller or it's a private sale and so 
things can like take weird turns. And so one of the weird turns that happened on that deal was at the last minute, the financer, uh, um, Bank of Montreal at the time decided that they weren't going to finance the deal. Mm. And so we ended up having to buy the property in cash. Long term, it wasn't necessarily a bad idea because often I've found just at least anecdotally speaking that when I buy a property in cash, it's actually easier to refinance at yes. a higher level. So bought it in cash, we did our stuff, and then we were able to actually refinance it for more than double our acquisition price. So you pulled money out on that yeah, deal. Yeah, so we pulled out cash and then went and bought another sixplex, did similar, bought another sixplex, and by that point in time, I we weren't yeah. able to like refinance that last sixplex fully. So right. we'd kind of tied up the money, but the way that deal actually worked was my money partner had allowed me up to $800,000 on a C-lock that mm-hmm. I could use for these deals. And once we did the first big deal and got cash out, then he took all his money back. And the rest of the money that we were left over with was just kind of like play money yeah. that I could go out and buy more with. Very nice. Okay, so out of all this, do you mind sharing like approximately what level of cash you're able to get out of those 58 units or a ballpark? Like what level of your net cash flow we're in? Yeah, so I've shared a lot of details with the internet. You don't share that one? I haven't shared that one yet. Okay. So... Um, a a healthy one (laughs) yeah it like it's enough to survive right and it's enough to pay for a full-time cameraman so yeah that's that's fantastic the next question i have for you is what specific instances have you seen where your online presence has allowed you to do a deal or made a deal easier give me a couple of examples yeah um so i've never really directly solicited joint venture partners or anything like that from the internet Mm mm-hmm But at the same time, by creating my YouTube videos, what ended up happening was it really excited my existing joint venture partners. So I had one joint venture partner. We started from day one when I was investing. We bought three student rentals together. But then our our life paths kind of hit a fork in the road, and he went down the the kids, the minivan, the McMansion house. Mm -hmm. And so him and his wife decided that they were kind of their risk aversion was a bit higher now, so they didn't want to do any more real estate investing. Okay. But she ended up becoming a closet fan of mine yeah. and watched for about six months and then started kind of poking him and asking, hey, why don't we start doing real estate investing again? Yeah. And so that ended up, um, that business partner brought about $300,000 in HELOC that I could use and play yeah. with. And so since since I started YouTube, we've bought... Um, Two do or two triplexes in a single family home. So, you know, seven units. So that was fantastic. Oh, so you hadn't already started uh, YouTube when you were working as a bookkeeper? Uh, no. Oh, okay. I thought the timing you would already already be. Yeah, done. it was close, but just close. not. Yeah. Okay. So you've been busy. I mean, obviously, once you quit the job, it kind of becomes more important that you get the JV partner so they can go on mm-hmm. title for the mortgage. Exactly. Is that correct? So, yeah. And just, there comes a certain point in time in real estate investing where I think you want to stop using your own capital. And yeah. I talked to a lot of real estate investors. Point. <laughs> yeah. A lot of real estate investors that did the burr investing or didn't necessarily focus on a cash heavy strategy like flipping. And I know Dan DeVoe mentioned to me, you're always poor. Like you're always cash poor as a burr investor. Like you're building up this great cash flow. You're building yeah. up tons of equity. But because like you always have to keep 20% of your equity tied up in that property, that's that's kind of the cash that most uh, flippers are walking away with and what right. they're able to live off of. Yeah, you're not really getting, well, typically, you're not really getting to live off of a burr. And for those who haven't watched the other episodes, burrs buy, 
uh, renovate, rent, refinance, repeat. It's just a fancy way of saying rather than flip it and sell it, you're flipping it and refinancing it and yeah. keeping it. And um, that's what I exercised before I had ever heard Burr. Turns out that one of the guys from Bigger Pockets, uh, Brandon, yeah. uh, came up with that. I've heard other people call it flip to yourself. And then before that, people just said, buy it, fix it, and refinance it. Yeah. Um, so that seems to be the way. That seems to be what's allowing all these young guys in their 20s to, like Kellen, for instance, yes. to get to a point in two and a half years where he went from zero to about a hundred or sorry, yeah, $10,000 a month in cash flow. Mm-hmm. Just got laid off from his job and doesn't care. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so he's going to go travel the U.S. for for three months. And if you want to hear that episode, I believe it's episode 10. Uh, Someone wants to go back and, and listen. And you have a podcast with Kellen as well. Yeah. So we have the On Fire podcast and it's just kind of focused on interviewing unique individuals, their backstories and kind of right. how they're living a, you know, a one of a kind life. Yeah, which it just seems like everybody's doing that here. It's, I think London, in in a way, kind of brought it on itself because London is is uh, it was affordable for yes. the longest time. Yeah. So I think, affordable. Like, it's one of those things where it was the perfect opportunity, but right. at the same time, it just took like w- a handful of us planting the flag and like mm-hmm. stepping forward and creating a community, and all of a sudden that yeah. spark just like lit. Yeah, an entire fire. So aside from the the recommendation to get a mentor, because I know that's probably the first thing out of most people's mouths when I ask them, what's the one mm-hmm. thing you would recommend? What would you say as a strategy you'd recommend to somebody who's starting with little or nothing? Maybe they got a small savings. If if you were to go back to your your beginnings, mm-hmm. you know, what and you knew what you know now, what would you do to start? Yeah. So outside of kind of the traditional advice that most people would give, my suggestion would be obviously network as much as possible. So start going out to events in real life as well as start documenting whatever you're doing. So Mm -hmm. if you have enough money to take down that first project, absolutely start, Mm -hmm. you know, even if you just have a cell phone, we have really high quality cameras these days on our cell phone, shoot just a little bit of B-roll of the house before, during renovations and after. That's going to allow you to attract money partners so much easier. When you sit down at their kitchen table and you're showing them the numbers, and then you can also play a video on your laptop. Yeah. It's just going to take that, you know, the theoretical and grounded in reality for them. And to add to that, learn about the little details. Know what know what a footing is. Know what a column is. Know, know the lingo. Mm-hmm. Just know more than the person you're selling so Absolutely. that you can convince them, right? Like, but be confident in yourself too, right? You don't mm-hmm. want to be taking their money if you, if you don't think you're going to succeed. Yeah, but anyways, I think a lot of uh, investors struggle they hit a certain point where they've used up their money mm-hmm. and they need to transition to joint ventures or other people's money. Yeah. But they don't have a they don't have a portfolio of data to show. They don't have a portfolio of photos or of information yeah. to share. And it's a real struggle for them to attract those first those first trust relationships. And so if you had that information already, and if you don't have any money at all and yeah. you're trying to get into real estate investing, at the same time, like document the struggle right like document that you're knocking on doors trying to bird dog or trying to help a wholesaler or whatever that looks like because you just never know who's watching your social media posts so like post to facebook post to instagram stories they're only there for 24 hours and then they kind of disappear anyways yeah and and when i had jeff on the show i think that was back there quite episode 13 i think he was talking about being top of mind right Mm-hmm. the the daily stories i don't know anybody who does as many stories as uh, as jeff does yeah but as far as realtors go in this town i can't think of a more prominent one just based on my being on instagram and seeing his face every mm-hmm. single day yeah absolutely and it's only going to become more so right like 
as the older generations kind of like die off essentially mm-hmm. what's going to end up happening is this social media appears to like it's going to become the norm yeah and so the way i like to associate it is i don't want to be the old man complaining about how tv's ru- ruining the radio industry mm-hmm. right or about yeah how the written word is ruining storytelling because it's no longer an yeah. oratory tr- uh, tradition at the end of the day wherever the masses are going to go that's where the attention's going to go and that's yeah. that's just such a valuable medium to be on yeah i couldn't agree more just one more note on the uh, the personal brand i feel like it's very sim- similar to if you think about how coca-cola has their label on the side of a truck how they have a banner on the side of a wall it's not like anyone forgot about coca-cola mm-hmm. right but being in their face every day we've never had a better ability to do that yeah, the small the small person, the individuals never had this opportunity because you always need this giant infrastructure behind yeah. you, right? And so it's taken us a while to adopt this mentality that like maybe you don't have to be a massive media player mm-hmm. in order in order to create media, in order to create content. And what's fantastic is this lasts forever. So, you know, if you're even just looking at from a individual perspective Mm -hmm. it'd be great for the next generation to see what you were up to to maybe inspire them that you hustled or that you put in extra work right yeah how weird will that be or thinking about my grandparents and like if i see an old black and white photo i'm like wow crazy (laughs) that they'll be able to watch you you know tell your whole story i mean Mm -hmm. that's insane to to think of that ability to do that yeah it's never been available before yeah it'll be an interesting next 20 30 years Okay, so some some YouTube specifics. You've obviously done it. How, what are your feelings about it? Like you, uh, several other people, like Matt Pichet, I had him on the show talking about what he's done on YouTube. Do you think it's too saturated at this point? And what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so definitely YouTube's interesting and it's also a fickle mistress. So like my opinions can swing day to day. High level, I think there's still a lot of opportunity there. But if someone wants to really make a business out of it, it's a lot more work than most people will realize. Yeah. So what it looks like today for what myself and Jeff have on the go is we have Peter who works for us full time as like a cameraman and editor. We mm-hmm. also have two other editors that work about, you know, 12 to 20 hours each a week. We have Adam Martin who kind of does business development and other mm-hmm. random content creation. Then myself, I create content as well. So yeah. it's a whole enterprise like trying to make a real business out of it. Mm-hmm. At the same time, uh, a friend of mine, Graham Stefan, he's been able to build out a massive one-man empire on YouTube. So he's right now, I think he just hit like something crazy, 40 million views in the last month. Wow. He's doing over uh, $100,000 US a month in just YouTube advertising money. That's okay. <laughs> so like there's massive opportunities there, but at the same time, it's everything to him. He lives and breathes that algorithm and puts in a yeah. lot of work. But I think where the real opportunity is, is to become like a micro influencer. So rather than necessarily try and compete with a Grant Cardone who has a giant staff or a Gary Vee. Yeah. Why, instead of trying to become North America's real estate guy, why not become, you know, Sudbury's real estate guy or Thunder Bay's yeah, real estate pick guy? pick a town. Yeah, pick, pick your local market and become that expert. Because mm-hmm. for most investors, realistically, if you attract, you know, 5, 10, 20 decent or big money partners... That's a lot. You can do a lot with that sort of attention. And so if that's your goal, yeah. there's a lot of opportunity there. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I know Matt had Matt Piche had mentioned mm-hmm. that he's every joint venture partner he's ever had came through YouTube. Yeah, it's crazy yeah. to think, especially because he started so long ago too. He's been doing it for like four or five years now. Oh, I think I thought it was even more than oh, that. Maybe but it could it be. Is. Yeah, I could. Yeah, he's been going at it for a long time. Now he doesn't have the following you have uh for whatever reason i mean obviously the algorithm yeah the really algorithm fickle. yeah but i mean he's getting i think his main thing is not to gain subscribers i think he's he's really focusing on you know learn how you can do a partner with me yeah which it, both you know everybody picks their approach right mm-hmm. but if uh you know a little uh boost to you i had a guy that he did come on the uh, podcast but he's from west virginia he reached out to me because he knew i invested in london he's like hey i was watching graham stefan and Who's this Matt McKeever guy? <laughs> <laughs> nice. That's awesome. I'm like, wow, he'll like that. Yeah. yeah so you're, uh, you are everywhere, uh, actually. And I'm sure you've got people watching you in Australia and, and what have you, which is the really cool thing, right? That you can reach people that way. Yeah. It's amazing yeah. to think the reach you can build yeah. just through consistent action. I guess that would be like one of my number one tips for anyone trying to do YouTube is yeah. it takes consistent action. Yeah. So if you're really trying to build a following, realistically, you probably need to be posting a video a week. And that's a relatively daunting task for most people. But at the same time, you can still just build that micro following if you want. But some of the benefits that we've seen is, um, or that like myself and Jeff Weibel have seen, we've had people fly from Colombia to attend one of our OREC's. You know, Mm -hmm. we had people fly from Australia, Germany, and South America again to attend uh, our Vegas events. So just the ability to, you know, broaden our horizons and the people we get to network with is really powerful because for the longest time you know if you think a hundred years ago or longer you just kind of had the people you grew up with and the people you accidentally bumped into throughout life where now we can really self-select we can plant that flag and say hey i love real estate i'm all about it i'm in this phase of growth and expansion and learning i want to surround myself with similar people absolutely Let's get together there's a compounding effect that we're going to see over the next few decades is that more than more now than ever we've got people who are getting together with other people that are equally smart and and they're compounding their ideas together and growing exponentially faster than they ever would if they hadn't bumped into that person that that Mm -hmm. thinks the same way they did or happened to type in the same search on on google or youtube that they did so this is going to be again an unprecedented thing that we're going to see so um you know further i know i was just kind of asking and trying to get your opinion but i think everyone has their own personality on youtube right like mm-hmm. some people are going to resonate with you some people are going to resonate with dylan or or whoever and so just put yourself out there and be honest with about what you're doing wherever you are struggling or not yeah because one day people who watched you from the beginning silently are going to mm-hmm. see you and then they're going to say okay you know what i i know the kind of guy matt is matt's the kind of guy i want to work with yeah and your work is half done for you. You just got to take that phone call or, or mm-hmm. you know, set up that that conversation. So uh, really cool. Matt, what's the best way for someone to get in contact with you if they want to learn more or or where should I send them? Yeah. So my favorite way for people to get in contact with me is my YouTube comments. But probably the easiest way yeah. is through Instagram DMs. OK. Um, Facebook gets pretty cluttered these days. Sure. But- yeah, so I'll put a link to your YouTube and to your Instagram profile Perfect. in the show notes so that anyone who wants to learn more. Yeah, uh, devour the content on Matt's YouTube channel. It's Appreciate there for it. a reason. You might as well uh, learn from like years of effort mm-hmm. and, and sharing. I mean, there's everything you need there. And um, okay, so what's your favorite thing, Matt? A couple of questions just to get to know you yep. better. Favorite thing to do outside of all this real estate stuff? 
Uh, so right now, it's still just kind of the community or culture building. So mm-hmm. I really enjoyed the environment we're creating here in the mansion and the yeah. house. So just spending time with the guys and, yeah. you know, going on those crazy tangential conversations. Yeah. So just abstract ideas and yeah, learning. I just, yeah. Constantly love learning audiobooks right now. Like I'm probably listening to 20 hours a week at least of just audiobooks. I just love devouring knowledge. That's awesome. Cool. Well, um, I guess that's probably a good one. I'm uh, trying to think of another unique question. What's one thing about you that most people don't know? Um, one thing about me that most people don't know. I guess I definitely love board games and video games. I don't necessarily dedicate as much time as I used to to them, but I used to like the video game civilization. I Essentially, I just don't allow myself to play it because I know of the time sink that's going yeah. to occur. I think that in theory, you know, growing up, probably yeah. playing those uh, uh, turn-based strategy video games and board games actually like help teach me delayed gratification and cause and effect yeah. and different benefits like that. But I can also get wrapped up in a video game, and I know Steam tracks your hours played, so you can see. Oh, yeah. And so one di- one time, I bought it or bought like the most recent civilization uh video game and in a 48 hour period i'd played 40 hours so oh. i have an all or nothing personality <laughs> my friend used to uh he was really into world of warcraft and he'd spend yeah 16 to 18 hours a day yeah it i can just get room. so absorbed in those yeah. online worlds so i i personally just try and limit or restrict my time so i'll go on like a video game vacation or binge sure. where like i'll let myself off the leash for a week but then like I need to just yeah. like, you know, delete that password or like just mentally yeah. block it. So yeah, unplug it and, mm-hmm. uh, and, and put it away. I, uh, yeah, for that reason, I won't like people keep asking me if I'll, if I've watched Game of Thrones or anything, I'm like, no, I don't do that. I don't watch new series because anything I already started watching, I'm finishing that, but I'm not <laughs> watching anything new because I just don't want to, I don't want to watch that. I don't want to do that because it is a bit of a distraction, right? Like mm-hmm. from, from what you really want to accomplish. Yeah, so. absolutely. Anyways, well, it's been, uh, it's been really cool to finally get really you on to the podcast. Yeah. Thanks, Matt. I really appreciate it. And uh, I'm sure we'll uh, set up another one of these sometime and, and I, we could probably talk for five hours about different topics. So uh, absolutely. We'll, have, we'll have no issue there. But uh, we'll see you at the next meetup. Perfect. Thanks, All right, thanks, Matt. Just quick before we go, the best place to reach me is at the Andrew Hines on Facebook or Instagram. And that's at the Andrew Hines. Hines is spelled H I N E S. Thanks, guys. We'll see you on the next one.